I'm Gabby Lagursio, your travel agent for tonight. It's my pleasure to take you to a place full of interesting conversation and untold stories. Our expected arrival time is 8.30, so fasten your seatbelts and please open your mind. Stay tuned for some music, culture, people, and places. Because right now, it's 8.30 somewhere. Powered by Base Base. Hi all, welcome to episode number four. Everything is ready for our journey to Chester, England, so passengers are advised to sit back and relax. This week's episode features Ed Blah, a British guitarist and singer-songwriter originally from Chester. He currently lives in South London after his graduation from the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts. In this episode, Ed Blah guides us through the personal stories that shaped his music. Our journey starts in Chester, where he reminisces about his mother's musical taste. Little did he know back then that these funky tunes would later become a fountainhead of his inspiration. While he formed his first band in Chester, it was an encounter in Liverpool that transformed his career. During the first days in the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts, he met Adi Suleiman. It was through his friendship with Suleiman, a half-British, half-Tanzanian pop R&B singer-songwriter, that Ed Blah got to know many of the artists he collaborates with today. In this conversation, we cover Suleiman's pivotal role in Ed Blah's career. After his time in Merseyside, he moved to Brixton, South London. There, he keeps perfecting his solo project, both musically and visually. Join the conversation to hear how Ed Blah collaborates amid a global pandemic about the spotification of his creative process and what we should expect next from him. Plus, if you want to have the full experience, check out 830 Somewhere's preview playlist, where you'll get a sneak peek into the artist's work. Before we went live, Ed Blah and Ben talked about the current situation in London and the upcoming spring. Guys, take it from here. So you chose CH22IQ as your postcode for this episode. And beforehand, you were saying that this represents the house you grew up in. Tell us about what was it like musically? Yeah, yeah, sure thing. Um, so yeah, I guess I remember, yeah, I started playing guitar when I was about seven. Um, and so it's kind of, in my mind, it's always been part of my life, um, playing guitar and music in general. Um, and then, yeah, I came from, I guess, kind of a musical family in the sense that um, I had three older sisters and they were all encouraged to learn instruments. So we were always like having jams. And so I had one played clarinet, one played cello, one played viola. Um, and so we used to do like little concerts at Christmas and stuff like that, where we'd play carols and stuff like that, which was quite fun. And um And yeah, music was always kind of around, um, you know, we'd get certain CDs. I always remember like listening to in the car, like the Beautiful South, which are a really great British band um, and people like Jack Johnson and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I guess music was always around and my parents have quite different tastes. My dad's more into like, well, some old like rock stuff, like Stiff Little Fingers, but he really loves Bob Dylan really loves Bob Dylan. Um, so there was a bit of that whenever my mum would allow it, which wasn't that often because she hates Bob Dylan. Um, and she was more into, because she grew up in like the 70s, 80s, she was more into 
uh, Motown, Soul, Funk, uh, which I really, uh, really enjoyed and really took to. So things like Earth, Wind & Fire, Stevie Wonder. Um, I just loved all that stuff uh, growing up, which was awesome. And then, yeah, I guess the other musical thing I had going on from a young age was just playing with my friends. So um, I had a friend called Jack um, and he was learning guitar around the same time. And I remember being about eight or nine and just being in the bedroom, just like writing songs. Um, I look back and realize we were writing songs at the time. We didn't really, it wasn't a conscious thing. You know, we were just teaching each other chords and then the one when we just come up with lyrics and it was just like a lot of fun. It didn't feel like we didn't sit down and say, oh, let's write a song, you know, um, which is quite funny looking back because, you know, 20 years later, that's kind of what I do now. Um, and then, yeah, and I started a band when I was like 11. Um, and that was when I just started to really, I, I don't know about taking it seriously because it was still just a lot of fun. But um, that's when I just really enjoyed it. And when I started performing, I think that's when I sort of knew in the back of my head that that was what I wanted to do. When you take stuff seriously, yeah. that's when you stop having fun, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there was any moment where I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, it wasn't like, there wasn't like a penny drop moment. It was just, I've music's been around for as long as I can remember. And I've always just loved it, really. And how's the music scene like in Chester? Um, it's not great, to be honest. Yeah, it's a kind of a s smallish place. Um, the reason where it is, where Chester is good is it's very close to Manchester and Liverpool. Um, and there was also a great uh, venue in Wrexham in North Wales, which is on the border with Chester. So uh, where people would tour. So uh, location-wise, it was really good because obviously Manchester and Liverpool have amazing music yeah. scenes. Lots of history, you know, I remember going to the Beatles Museum in Liverpool growing up. Um, and and then, as I said, Wrexham, which is very close by, um, had this great little venue called Central Station, which was an old train station. And they used to get bands sort of just before they'd get really big, I guess, um, would sort of play there. So I don't know how many of these guys you'll know, but there was a band called Good Shoes who played there, um, Igloo and Hartley, Reverend and the Makers, Uh, Cage the Elephant so some like you know half decent sort of indie bands would kind of play there when they were coming up and um, and it was great for the band I was in because we were doing sort of indie stuff and we got the chance to support some of those bands nice. and you know um, and sort of hang out and, and just yeah just gig really so it was a lot of fun Sure I mean I love it how places in England in general and in London more specifically mm. always have this sort of background and history to them like they've been repurposed to to do another thing um yeah speci specifically with the central station that you mentioned as well um yeah and from then on you moved to liverpool right to pursue music more professionally and i guess in a less of a fun way as well yeah in terms of like the education side of it you know music was always just the first box i'd tick when it came to gcse's straight away it was oh i'm obviously going to do music a level as well was straight away music um but when i did it at a level so that's like sixth form you know yeah uh the two years before i went to university um i was actually there was no one else in the class um no one else <laughs> took music so it was just me um could you find a teacher yeah and the teacher <laughs> well that's the thing though the teachers there they were amazing but they were super chilled and like you know because it was just me they'd be like so do you want to have a lesson today or do you want to leave it and i'll be like no i want to learn some stuff 
Um, so it kind of was a bit counterproductive, the fact that it was just me. But So it was quite lonely in that sense. Um, but I had the band, um, which was called The Capitals, um, and we were doing, as I said, the gigs in Wrexham and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, university-wise, um, ended up yeah going to Liverpool, which is funny because I, in my head I always had this idea of wanting to go as far away from home as possible. I think a lot of people get that when they're sort of 16, 17. You just think, oh, I just want to escape. And London was really appealing as well. I applied to Goldsmiths uh, University in London. Uh, unfortunately, didn't get in. Um, and I also applied to Leeds College of Music, but I didn't get in there. And so by the time I applied to go to Lippa, the performing arts school in Liverpool, it was kind of like my last chance um, at giving it a go. So I really prepared for it, made sure, you know, I practiced and had like practiced. I remember practicing um, interview questions with my parents in my living room. And and thankfully the audition went really well and I got a place there. And um, and yeah, I've never looked back really. That's kind of where, looking back now, that's where my career started really. Why? I mean, what makes you think that this was the turning point for your career? Uh, just the people I met. Um, so one of the first people that I met or hung out with properly um, was a guy called Adi Suleiman, who's an amazing um, artist, uh, singer, writer, all the rest of it. Um, I met him in Freshers Week. And um, because what's great about Lipper and what was especially great for me, especially coming from um a levels where there was no one else there um and I also i had the band but for the other guys in the band it was just like a hobby and for me I, i always wanted to do more with it so what was great about going to lipper was i was surrounded by you know 30 40 people who had the same passion for music as me um but also there was a lot of singers like addy who needed instrumentalists you know to to play for and to write with and to gig with and stuff so It was a great pairing. So I ended up just playing for like four or five different people in first year. Just I was super busy, just played for as many people as possible. Um, and one of them was Addy. As I said, in, in Freshers Week, we we saw each other. And basically what happens on the first night is you meet all these musicians and everyone says, hey, man, let's jam, let's jam. And everyone goes, yeah, yeah, what kind of music? You're like, oh, yeah, I like them too, let's jam. And everyone just says, let's jam. And you get drunk and, you know, you you end up not jamming with half of them. But um, and I remember having that conversation with Addy, being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's now told me in the back of his head that he was like, nah, I'm not, I don't really want to. Um, but so I saw him the next day, and we were, our heads were a bit sore. And I said, oh, how about you, you, um, you know, we go back, go back to mine and like play some music. I'd love to hear your voice. And so he did. Um, but again, he later told me that he didn't really didn't want to. <laughs> and I heard his voice, and it was just this amazing, like silky smooth, like kind of like a male Amy Winehouse is the closest thing I can think. And I, I remember saying to him there and then I was like, oh, I want to play guitar for you. And he was like, yeah, all right then. And um, and that was it because that that playing for Addy has really been such a huge and pivotal part in my life and career because when we eventually graduated, he um, he signed a record deal that same summer. And I, well, both of us went into doing music full time. Um, and so, yeah, I was essentially just playing for him full time for, for a few years after that, so... And that's how I kind of found my feet in the music industry as well. Just playing for him, for him, touring around and meeting other people? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so um, yeah, exactly that. We were doing, we moved to Nottingham for a year and then after we graduated and then to London after that. And yeah, it was a lot. We were doing a lots, of, lots of gigs. We were doing a few London gigs, um, showcases. It was just a very busy time, studio sessions, 
we tried writing together a bit as well, but I think because we'd just come straight out of university, we didn't really have the discipline to, you know, really work through and write a song. And um, But the nice thing about the whole experience was that um, we were best friends, or we still are, um, and we moved in together, you know, in second year, and, and the whole songwriting side of things was just a real, just such a natural thing. It wasn't similar to when I was really young. We never sat down and said, let's write a song. I would just be playing some stuff on guitar and he would go, oh, what's that? And I'd say, oh, I don't know. It's just like a loop or it's just some chords. And he'd go, oh, yeah, I'd like to, you know, sing to that. And then he'd sing. And some of his, um, the first songs that ended up going on his album came about just through that, just me sort of playing in the flat and him hearing it and going, oh, what's that? And and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, it was, it was good times. Sounds very organic as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was 100%. And we still write together now, like we were writing together this week and it's like the complete opposite in terms of like how we go about it. I think we're better writers for sure. Um, but it's very much like we book a session in and he comes around now and say, okay, we need lyrics for this and what can we tweak? And it's a lot more like methodical and stuff. And back then it was just like, just as you said, super organic and just whatever comes, comes. And, you know, it was really fun. Do you find that the methodical approach you took filters out more material than the organic one? Yeah, I think it's, I think it works both ways. Like, you know, I think we are, as I said, I think we're better writers. We're better at getting a song over the line um, and things like that. And we have sort of, you, you know, over the years, you sort of pick up techniques where you, even little things like if you're spending an hour on a verse, just saying like, look, this isn't happening. Let's just move on to something else or or just starting a new idea or just loads of like little tips and tricks that you learn just through sort of writing and, and recording, you know, just through doing it basically. Um, but then, yeah, on the flip side, the sort the whole method, methodical thing, um, you, you end up thinking, I was speaking to someone about it this week is you end up thinking about songs and writing in like a, my friend described it as like a Spotify way of thinking where in the back of your head, you're sort of thinking about, not really playlists and stuff, but like length, song lengths and intros and things like that, and which can sort of hinder the creativity. And, and it's not something we stress about, but I do think subconsciously you're sort of thinking, oh, we need to get into the chorus a bit sooner or, you know, we don't want it to be more than three minutes 30 and things like that. So, yeah, it works both ways. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, the way music is being streamed nowadays and especially popular music is being consumed affects your creative process? I think subconsciously, yeah. Yeah, because it's so, I wouldn't say I'm like writing different melodies or chords in relation to the sort of the market, but in terms of like structure, I think, and and things like, yeah, structure and lengths and things like that, I think it was always in the back of my mind to be like, right, we need to get into this sooner and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I think a little bit. Would you, would, I mean, ideally, would you do your music differently? Um, I think there's, I feel like there's a place for, there's a place for like, you know, songs that are two and a half minutes, three minutes that are very traditional structure and that are, you know, very whatever, single friendly, radio friendly, Spotify friendly. I think there's a place for that. And but I also feel where I am, I'm at creatively, there's space for tracks that are like four or five minutes and there's just jams. And, you know, I feel quite free creatively at the moment. Uh, because my team is just me and my manager, you know, there's not a label or anything. So, yeah, I'm 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 quite happy with having both options. To be honest, I don't mind sort of doing something 
with a single sort of format in mind, but I also love having longer tracks. Um, so yeah, a bit of both. Do you see one as uh, like a pen- potential to get more listeners and the other as, I don't know, stressing out your creativity? I don't, I'm just thinking about it as a marketing mm. stra- strategy, I guess, but it might not be the, the right perspective or the right lens to, to check this out. So I'm just trying to figure out what you think about like both of the, mm. like the, different, the difference between them. Yeah, I think so I kind of, with, my, with the Edblood project, I go between doing instrumental stuff and songs and i really i love both but i really love songs uh, just i've just like i said grown up listening to essentially pop music whether it's soul r&b funk you know all these different sort of tags but it's still pop music you know there's still verses and choruses and stuff like that so you, when you grow up when you you know sort of listen to that stuff and soak up for 20 years i think you're naturally going to I always find whenever I'll write a song, it does end up being like three minutes, three minutes, 30, just naturally. I think that's because everything's been soaked up. Um, But then, yeah, as I said, with the project, I'm able to do instrumental things where I can be a lot more free with structure and, uh, and lengths and things like that. And that's why I really love this project. As I say, I've just have full creativity and I try not to overthink things when it comes to like marketing and things like that. And that's where you know, the ma- my manager, James, can sort of step in and say, this track's amazing, but can we get to this sooner and things like that? And I don't mind doing that, you know, but um, I think it's important when you're creating to not stress that sort of stuff too much. Yeah. I mean, it's also a way for you to get more exposure in a way. Um, I mean, yeah. if people, if more people would listen to it just because it would be featured on a Spotify playlist, it's a way of getting more traction and internet uh, yeah. exposure as well. So that that's not only like a bad bad thing to do uh Mm -hmm. no i agree i agree i think for me when i put out the my first four singles in summer 2019 i i did so without any sort of playlisting or marketing in mind it was just four songs that i really liked with some great featured artists and um and they've all done really well for me in different ways so i kind of always look back to that and think i kind of not necessarily reference it but you know, that's how I started and that's how I've got to where I am now. So I've I've kind of definitely, I'd say, stuck with that. As, as, as great as it is, is to land these sorts of playlists, I'm, I'm never really thinking, oh, it needs to be a bit more jazzy to get on Jazz UK or it needs to be a bit more hip-hop to get on conscious hip-hop, you know. I'm just making music and I'm very grateful that um, the people at Spotify seem to uh, enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah, some of it anyway. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, the way things are, the way things were. I mean, was yeah featured in. I mean, it has more than two million uh, streams, and it was featured on one of Spotify's playlists. So, I mean, that's definitely a way of getting traction out there. You were talking about yeah. the beginning, and I'm just curious because when looking at your uh, YouTube profile, you could find some very early videos as well. Uh, which doesn't mm. necessarily, um, I don't know, remind the listeners of your current genre. Um, like yeah. 2013, uh, more of a the Cooks kind of. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. You're talking about the Ed, that's Ed Black, isn't it? The Rather than Ed Blur. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It's no, more it's like on just... the uh, same channel as the Ed Blur stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's the same channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. So was it before you moved to Liverpool that you 
were pursuing this kind of a British indie style? Yeah, so the yeah, exactly. So the band I was talking about that I was in, um the Capitals when I was in high school, that was very much indie just straight indie pop, you know, wombats, pigeon detectives. Um it was that sort of lane uh strokesy I guess a bit, but yeah, very much indie pop. Um lots of fun and yeah, it was great. Uh but then and that was kind of my bag. Um really loved Foles, Bombay Bicycle Club, that sort of stuff. Um, and and then, yeah, so when I started um, uh, the solo singer-songwriter project, which is um, Ed Black, um, it, it, na- that was when I went to university and that was, that was naturally kind of quite indie pop. Um, so there's that, vi- I think there's a video you might be talking about, which was around that time of me, a very young me, eating lots of fruit um that's the and one. food and stuff yeah and it's an original track um called easier said than done and yeah that was just 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 a bit of fun i just was listening to a lot of indie music at the time as i naturally kind of wrote that stuff um but at the same time what when i went to university that is when i uh sort of discovered a lot of other music and genres and styles and and artists specifically um you know people like lauren hill D'Angelo, Erica Badu, you know, I didn't really know these people existed. Um, and because I kind of already loved soul and Motown, you know, I felt like they, those guys were doing that kind of soul, really soulful music, but just in a more modern way. And I just, just fell in love with it. Um, R&B essentially is a genre I didn't really listen to before university. So kind of opened my mind to that. Um, and I guess that's where maybe the sort of Ed Blood project kind of started in the back of my mind where I just started listening to a lot of R&B, soul and, and hip hop and stuff. And from there on, you just started to produce beats um, just like that? No, not really. I only I start, only started producing quite recently. So then I was quite content just um, playing guitar for Addy and for other artists. I was in another band as well in, in university called Nine Tales, which was, again, kind of indie, but more alternative, um, a bit mathy. So we did some like you know, we had a lot of pedals and we were playing around with weird time signatures and a lot of it, I I would definitely say was sort of doing alternative stuff just for the sake of it. Um, because I really wanted to, I ha- had been in an indie band, but wanted to be in an indie band, but that was just a bit more forward thinking, a bit more out there. And, and we did that and that was great. Um, but then, yeah, I, I kind of, I'd say around towards the back end of university and, and then, and the couple of years that followed graduating, I was very much, uh, a session guitarist so playing for Addy pretty much exclusively uh, until we moved to London and then I started playing for some other artists but it was just live stuff studio and I wasn't really producing um, at all and then it was only when um, I used to when we moved to London I still used to travel up to Liverpool quite a bit for gigs because that was my only sort of income well not only I was getting paid by Addy but I needed to sort of do a few other bits so so I'd always go up to Liverpool and I had this uh, friend who played keys and we were in like a duo. It was loads of fun. We would just do some bar gigs, have a few drinks, you know, just play covers um, and then usually go out afterwards. So it was, a, you know, in, uh, definitely quite a painless way of making money. And um, and we started writing songs, just like kind of pretty much straight pop, a bit R&B, R&B pop, I think. And And we were looking for people to produce it and we kind of knew the basics of how to use logic through university because we got taught about production, but didn't really pay attention or care at the time. <laughs> um, as with most 
university lectures and then um and then yeah so we decided oh let's just produce our own stuff um so we started yeah producing ourselves and we were awful at first probably awful for about a year um because we just didn't have the know-how or the sounds but where we were really lucky was that we were surrounded by amazing um producers and mix engineers because you have that as well at, at, at lipper and so every now and then we would call up or invite around a friend um one guy in particular chris paulasek who masters all my stuff still he's an amazing mix engineer and he would come around and we would go this is our session and he would go oh try this and he'd just show us how to use like an eq or compression or reverb and just little things and gradually we sort of picked up some tips um and then i think it was around 2016-17 um my friend who was up in Liverpool, Graham, he moved down to London as well. And we started a writing and production duo uh, called LMBY. And that was great fun. We um, had a few connections in the industry just through like playing session stuff. And so we started hitting up managers and lawyers and getting loads of sessions. And basically for a whole year, we wrote and produced with other artists uh, sort of Monday to Friday, um, which was great. It was a lot it was busy um but it was and it was a great year to learn and we just kind of learned on the job and gradually got better at producing and every now and then we would still meet get, meet up with mix engineers or full-time producers and just get a few more tips and just sort of built up our knowledge um and that's kind of where i sort of found started to find my feet a bit um production wise and writing wise and met some cool artists as well um and then basically at the end of that year um things the sort of stuff we were doing had become less R&B, soul, hip-hop, and more just straight pop. Um, and we were doing things like pitching for artists and stuff like that. And um, it basically, that that's not really my my bag. It's not my passion. Um, but my friend Graham in the project, he loves that. He loves pop music, loves writing it, loves producing it. So we kind of decided to go our separate ways um, at the end of that year. And then, yeah, that that is for me really when the Edbler project um started because i had a, some basic knowledge of production um i knew how to write a song and and i and i had just like a load of beats that i'd been coming up with chord structures and stuff that were in that r&b soul vein a lot of stuff i'd come up with for um adi suleiman the artist um and inevitably you know he wouldn't use all of it so i had some stuff lying around and yeah just through touring and stuff i'd met a lot of great featured artists so that's yeah that's how the project started where i just started writing and producing on my own and just getting in sessions with people who were you know whatever it is r&b just a bit alternative anything that wasn't just straight pop um and really enjoyed it and that's you know one of those sessions was was with isaac uh waddington for the way things were and yeah all those four singles i kind of did um at the start of i would have been probably around the start of 2018 and then, yeah, it came out summer 2019. And what was it like finding collaborations in the beginning? It seems like Addy played a major role in that. It was a mix. I realized a lot of the early stuff was through Addy whenever I talk about it, um, <laughs> which, is, which is quite cool. It's, yeah. it's nice that it's come through. It's a very organic sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, if I think about my first four singles, the first one was Table for Two with Tilly Valentine. She was an artist that... I met when I was in the duo um, through a lawyer who was working for both of us at the time. Um, I really liked her stuff and we kept in touch and I uh, co-produced her first single. And so I got her on that Table for Two song, which was cool. Um, 
Isaac Waddington, we met because um, another great artist called Matilda Homer was supporting Addie on tour and Isaac was playing keys for her. And so we got chatting and I listened to his project. I thought it was amazing and asked if he'd be up for jumping on a track. And then Kofi Stone, the rapper, is on one of my first tracks. Again, he supported Addy at a gig in Birmingham. I just chatted to him afterwards and said, would you be up for a session? And he said, yeah. And then Jay Alexander, um, the other single was, he's, um, well, we're friends anyway. We met at university, <laughs> uh, but he's Addy's backing vocalist. So there's a lot of Addy connections and a lot of the trumpet and keys. If you hear like some piano that sounds more than just like three finger chords, that's um, Jamie Parker who, plays keys for Addy and the trumpet player is Addy's trumpet player so there's a lot of connections there that I've um that I've used and and uh, applied to my project and now it's a bit more now it's less obviously through Addy because he's not doing as much for one and I think now that the I put some stuff out you know some people are coming to me and I'm still very much coming to a lot of artists as well but now it's just all through like Instagram and Spotify and stuff yeah so people yeah, just yeah. literally approach you through social media and yeah instagram's like my shop front it's where most people message me it's where i message most people um you know i'll hear something on spotify release radar or discover weekly and go oh this is cool and then straight away i'll just check their instagram and and just message them and say do you want to work on a track together and you know sometimes people don't get back or sometimes they say no but sometimes they say yeah Nice. And most of the time they, they at least respond and a lot of the time they do say, yeah, let's do it. So it's kind of a, yeah, it's a modern way of doing it, I guess. It's nice to hear that social media has opened the door to like more collaborations. Can you tell me how has it been collaborating during COVID? It's been interesting. It's been interesting. Um, I've done a couple of Zoom sessions, which have been all right, but I don't really have the technical know-how to like have them hear what I'm producing at the same time. So when I do sessions on Zoom or when I have them, we just kind of catch up, chat for like an hour or so and then agree on a musical sort of starting point. And then I'll kind of go away and produce it and they'll um, kind of write to it and we'll maybe reconvene later on or or not. Um, so it's it's kind of, in a sense, less collaborative. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a bit tough and I had a, some tricky tracks to finish as well for the mixtape boys and girls which came out last september um i was putting tracks together for that when lockdown hit so um there were some demos that i had to basically make full tracks um in some instances without the featured artists themselves being there or they would have to record things from their home studio setup and stuff like that so there was a lot of back and forth yeah there was the one track symmetry with with tilly valentine again the vocal was really glitchy. It has had loads of like CPU noises on it, just like that sort of sound. Um, so I had to like painstakingly go through every vocal take and try and find parts of the vocal that A, she liked and B, didn't have like this glitchy noise on it. You couldn't get away with that being like a vibe? Yeah, yeah. So like I I found that in louder sections, so like the chorus and whatever, it didn't really matter because there was enough other stuff going on that you wouldn't actually notice the glitch but in the quieter bits i had to like really yeah just find non-glitchy bits and it was it was very long but we got the track over the line and, and i love how it sounds now and similarly with nostalgia which has um Tora on it um that was a good demo but we neither of us really liked the verses and it didn't have a bridge so um so we had to like well she 
to be fair to her, re- rewrote the verses. Um, and thankfully, Tora is also an amazing producer. Um, so she recorded everything really nicely and sent it over and it was all like labelled and stuff. It's like the nicest stems I've ever had because it was, yeah, everything was like perfectly labelled and it was just a pleasure to work with. So that one wasn't too bad, but there was a lot of stuff that we had to do to finish it during lockdown. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a good challenge. When you start working on a track, is there a certain part that you generally start with or does it change from track to track or artist to artist? Um, so yeah, I kind of have same approach starting, um, all my sessions really, which is that I, I'll listen to their stuff usually on the sort of morning of the session and kind of get a feel for it, you know, the tempo and the vibe and, you know, the sort of sounds and stuff like that. Not too much, but just to get the right ballpark. Um, and then I'll pick up the guitar, um, most of the time, sometimes keys, but yeah, most of the time guitar. And just come up with sort of three different starting points. Um, so like loops or or little melodic things or just chord structures or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, and then basically when the artist arrives, we have a chat chat and catch up and stuff. And then I play them the sort of three ideas. And usually they like one of them, at least. And then we just go from there, really. So at, at that point, because I work with a lot of people who write their own melodies and lyrics and stuff like that, I'll record down the guitar and build up the production, just get a loop going. But whilst it's looping out in the room and they'll sort of be sat on the sofa or on the desk and just coming up with, with melodies and stuff like that. And that's, yeah, that's how it starts pretty much every time. Um, London, I mean, now you're in London and I was just thinking how, how is it like in relation to Liverpool as well? Uh, the music scene in London. Yeah, I think, um, well, I've had a few, yeah. So Chester had one venue, to be fair to it. It's called Telford's Warehouse, which is a lovely um, pub, basically, by the canal. Really nice. And downstairs, it had this uh, little stage. And um, that was where I did some of my first gigs. And I've got very fond memories of that, just doing open mic nights and stuff like that. But that was kind of it for Chester. Um, but um, but Liverpool, on the other hand, was, was amazing. And I think it was really great for me and Addy because we were sort of starting out it was our first time playing together and his first time singing original material. And why Liverpool's amazing is it has, well, loads of venues anyway, but it has loads of like really small venues and just like little restaurants where there's live music. And it's a very musical city, obviously stemming from the Beatles and all that. Um, but, you know, all the pubs have music on and all that stuff. So basically we were able to play a lot of, um, to be honest, like quite shit gigs or crappy gigs where people were sort of chatting away and not listening. But I think that was really gross because um, it kind of let us found our feet and we didn't go... By the time we actually eventually played um, in London and we're doing sh- showcase sort, sorts of gigs, you know, we'd already done, I don't know, 50 shows or something like that just in, in Liverpool and across the UK. Uh, again, as I say, most of them were like small, not great gigs where people were talking, but it just let us really sort of find our feet um and then similarly when we moved to nottingham that um that's that nottingham has lots of really lovely venues and a really good music scene as well i think the thing with liverpool that we struggled with a bit is as much as there was a lot of venues and there's not really an or there wasn't at the time a sort of scene for r&b soul music it's very much like bands still they like they like their indie music um and their singer songwriters and stuff like that and we didn't really fall into that lane at the time so that's where 
we we struggled a bit in Liverpool. Um, whereas Nottingham probably has slightly less venues, but some really nice venues and and a great scene for sort of reggae, soul, all that kind of stuff that Addy was doing. And uh, he's from Nottinghamshire as well, so that was really Nottingham as a place and as a as a county. I guess was Nottinghamshire was a really huge part of Addy coming up and through that also myself. Um, so that was cool. And then, yeah, and then London. Um, yeah, London's obviously great. You know, obviously the most venues in the UK, just because it's the largest place. Um, and yeah, just a lot of fun memories. We did a lot of sort of pub bar gigs, smallish venues when we first started playing in London. And But yeah, as I said, I think just having had that experience in Liverpool of playing loads of small um small venues and pubs and stuff just really helped by the time we came to London and did slightly larger shows, which took a while, but I think we were just a bit more prepared for it. Yeah. Really like building your experience and your backbone in, in a sense. Yeah. I think in the same way that like, you know, the Beatles went to um, Hamburg and just played covers every night for weeks on end, you know, but so by the time they came back to Liverpool and with this pop sensation, you know, they were in a, they're an amazing live outfit as well. And I think, um i think that that's missing a lot of the time now with artists um because a lot of people are coming up you know through just well it used to be soundcloud and stuff but now it's it's pretty much exclusively spotify and apple music i think but a lot of artists are you know getting uh success and fame and and whatever getting good numbers and to the point where they're doing um their first show without any live experience at all um because they've just got where they are through exclusively streaming and stuff so which is kind of seems to be the more modern way of doing it were you struggling at the beginning with the live performances um i don't think struggling but i've definitely like seen back some old clips and it was it was a lot it was too much you know like what i learned through playing for addy and for so many years is is to just like listen to the singer a lot and i think when i first started playing for addy i was i mean partly i was just used to being the front man um so sort of look at me sort of style playing and, and performing as well and I look back at some of the early Addy gigs and I don't think I was listening to him a lot of the time I think I was just going for it and I'd showing off a bit I think to be honest um and maybe we both were to an extent but um yeah it took a while before I think we really started performing together let's put it that way and, and listening to each other and getting the pulls and the flows and the things like that and and now it's it's like clockwork when we play together which is really lovely um because because we've had so many years of ex- experience and um yeah that's just invaluable yeah for sure mm. i mean that's fascinating like the inner workings of a band or i mean the way you just come together and form a unified kind of i mean what looks from for the outsider mm. as a unified kind of whole just like an interesting insight yeah definitely and i've really enjoyed what i've started doing in the last year is musical directing so i became the i didn't really know what an md musical director was um until me and Addy started auditioning bassists and drummers and one of them said to me oh, are you the md i said i don't really know uh, i don't know what that is <laughs> what is musical directing um so it's basically running being in charge of the band um so running mm. rehearsals you know sort of making sure everyone's up to scratch um i think back in the day and it still happens now back in the day you would they would have bands and there would be someone who would just be a musical director And they would be brought in to make sure, you know, tighten things up or, 
make sure certain sections were a bit slower or get intros and just like, you know, really honing in on the live set. Nowadays, nine times out of 10, the MD, I think partly financially, musical director will be one of the people who's actually in the band rather than someone who's brought in. So I sort of took on that role for Addy's project just through knowing the song so well. Um, but it was it was great fun. Um, and we got to work with some amazing musicians um, as a basis, basically when we first came to London, his first EP was recorded by um, two guys, a drummer called Cassell, the beat maker, um, who's played for The Streets and Plan B, and a guitarist called uh, Eric Apapule, um, who played for like uh, some UK acts like Natasha Bedingfield, Daniel Benfield. He also played and plays for Cat uh, Stevens. So they're a bit older um, than us and way more experienced. And it was just yeah. like a real blessing to be around those guys. They recorded this EP really amazingly and we asked them to like do some shows with us and they were like, yeah, we'll do a couple of gigs because they kind of knew the songs. <laughs> and, um, and that was about five or six years ago and they still, they're still playing for us now um, or for Addy, sorry, which is, which is amazing. Um, and, and now I've started, as I say, in the last year um, doing musical directing where I'm not in the band, where I'm just outside and just running rehearsals and, and I, I really enjoy that. It's, it's a completely different thing and it's it's nice to sort of be doing it not in the band as well so yeah does it release some of the pressure off you yeah and i think like it's just when you're not in the band and you're just thinking about musical directing and you know making sure everything's tight and everyone's locked in and if you're sat listening to everyone it's way easier than if you're actually in the band because as well as i i do know Addy's songs really well but you know i still have to think to an extent about what i'm doing personally which always means that you're going to be just less focused on what everyone else is doing inevitably. So, yeah. It sounds a lot like the transition a lot of actors make from uh, acting to directing. Yeah. It sounds like a parallel kind of thing. It's uh, Yeah, yeah, interesting. Very cool. Yeah, interesting you say that. I've never thought of it like that. But um, yeah, I'd imagine it is, yeah, very, very much very similar, sort of taking a step back and and being in that same world, but <clears throat> approaching it from a completely different angle. Yeah, it is very similar. Yeah, and then you have the uh, actors who act and direct at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And like, I imagine nine times out of ten, you know, they're not going to be able to direct as well as they would if they were just directing, sort of thing. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so your your second part of the B tape just came out. Um, how was working on it during COVID and lockdown in the UK? Um, did it let you have some more freedom, quiet? and headspace to work on it yeah definitely i've um i've been really grateful for the project this year especially um and even last year uh, because it's just given me uh some focus and a target and you know when i'm looking at releases and stuff it's something to work towards and i think you know that's really helped me as a person i think generally as people that you know we need stuff like that things to work towards or i'm, I'm very much like a schedule target kind of guy like you know i like spreadsheets <laughs> and stuff like that so to have this project and this album in mind um, or a beat tape, sorry, in mind um, this year has been, has been great. Cause I think the third lockdown has been particularly hard for, for everyone um, just cause it was, well, no one expected it to be still going on. And the fact that it was like January, you know, we didn't get to spend yeah. Christmas with our family or new years. Uh, and then it was just cold and dark and we're in lockdown again. So it was quite a grim time to be honest. But I had this project where I was making, you know, music that I love um, with some amazing people and it just sort of kept me kept me going, kept me ticking. So 
Yeah, and then as you said there, with the, with it being in lockdown, I just had a bit more time to work on it. Um, and in particular, when the lockdown initially hit in March, that was when I started mixing and producing um, Boys and Girls, the mixtape that came out that September, and and that was really great because because I'm still doing a lot of session guitar and and you know playing in. I still do bar gigs and wedding gigs and stuff like that, and um, and the, the the lockdown just kind of cleared out all that stuff for the first time. I just my only thing on my calendar was um, working on my own project, which at first I thought was a bit daunting, but um, but I actually absolutely loved it, and I've not really looked back. I'm, uh, as things have started to open up again, I've started to do more session stuff here and there, but um, what what's really amazing for me is that having that time to focus on the project and hone in on things like mixing and production has um has kind of from in my eyes anyway got things to the level where I'm able to do um production as a more of a not necessarily full-time career yet but it's starting to bring in income you know through both my project and through I'm in a position now where I can produce for other artists for example you know which like this time like a year or maybe not a year but a a year or two ago, you know, I wouldn't have felt comfortable sort of taking money for a production, but now I feel like I've sort of found my feet. You know, I, I know how how to get my sound for sure. And, and some people, some other people also want that sound or something similar. So, you know, and they're, they're sort of willing to pay for it, which is crazy. So, yeah, I'm in a place now where that's kind of become another another source of income. And I'm, hopefully as things open up, I, I won't, need to do as much of the sort of bar gig stuff and wedding gig stuff yeah i mean and it sounds great i mean it sounds like lockdown really gave you the time to give it the love that it needed um really enjoyed it as well yeah so no thank you man yeah i always find it um a bit weird talking about last year um because <laughs> i had such a great year like as an artist and a, a career wise it was really amazing and with the first beat tape and, and the mixtape and stuff you know amidst all the negativity and and the and the horrible stuff and the grimness of of 2020 you know i i just yeah just had a really had some really good stuff going on so yeah i'm very grateful for that and i also got married in december so yeah oh, i'll remember oh thank you and so i'll remember 2020 uh with mixed feelings for sure but um with a lot of fondness <laughs> <laughs> well the news aren't always right i guess yeah especially in your case yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i was wondering about the art for your past few projects uh can you tell us a little bit about who did it uh and what the inspiration was yeah great question um i'm glad that's come up because um the visuals have been a huge part of my project i think and um it's it's not something that i'd ever really thought about before when i was in bands and doing singer songwriter stuff you know album artwork was always usually just a picture of us or you know failing that it would just be someone would do something but it's not something i ever really thought about um put, attached much importance to um but i knew that the kind of music i was making i wanted some sort of graphic design i didn't want it to be like a picture sort of thing and um the connection actually came through uh the writing and production duo i was in so it was a friend of uh graham's the guy i was writing with um and he showed me some stuff he'd done which is completely different to the ebler stuff but I could tell that he was very talented um, and he was just sort of a friend of a friend. So we got chatting and I sent him the first four tracks and my only sort of uh, prerequisite was that the album artwork was the featured artist's faces. And that was kind of the only direction I really gave him. And so he obviously took the, I sent him four pictures of the artist, 
and then he sort of digested the music and and came back with pretty much what what you see now as those first four singles that kind of style it was a bit rougher at first but and he sort of finessed it but but it was kind of yeah it was all him really and um and since and you know as the project's grown i always get people saying oh you know i love the graphics love the artwork which is which is amazing for me and i think yeah i definitely have a lot more respect for people who put time and energy into visuals and graphic design and you know it's been a huge part of of me sort of coming up as well um, and then my manager said who's not well he's now my manager but at the time he said when he first heard my music he really liked it but then he went on spotify and saw the visuals and was like okay i'm interested i want to talk to this guy and you know it's interesting that it had that such an impact you know where he was like okay i think it just comes across as a bit more thought out and and i think it just matches the music perfectly as well so i'm very grateful to have met him definitely uh i was gonna say that these days, album art is such an amazing way to get across your message. Uh, when people are looking through playlists on Spotify, that's it's really your only tool to say, like, hey, come mm-hmm. listen to my music. Um, and I think your art does that really well. Oh, thank you, man. I'll pass that on to Oliver. That's a really, really nice thing to say. But um, yeah, I know I agree completely. And, and what's been what I'm really excited about is the kind of evolution of the artwork, because I wasn't really sure how it would grow, because I'd because you want to always grow right as an artist musically and visually um and i kind of thought well how are we going to be able to get away from this and and so when we were putting together ideas for this beat tape um we had the idea of kind of it being more my actual face um rather than just like (laughs) a blank color and so he sent me one over that was just fully my face um which i thought was really cool and he's got this kind of you can kind of see it on the current beat tape artwork. It's a bit like it looks like an like an old cinema um yeah. movie poster, it's that sort of style. Um and so that's you can probably tell that's kind of where we're moving. So we said for this beat tape, you know, we're gonna you can see it's half of it is the old style and half is kind of my actual face. And then the idea is to kind of as the project and more music comes out, it's gonna sort of be more revealed and eventually it'll just be, you know, I think probably faces but in a similar similar sort of style. And I think that really excites me, the idea of like just having, you know, going through um, Spotify and just sort of scrolling through and seeing that progression as well. And and obviously there's going to be a progression musically. So I guess in a way we've kind of grown together, which is, yeah, really nice. That's actually a great idea. And I think it makes sense as well, like with social media. Um, yeah. The fact that you could see it linearly like moves. Mate, yeah, Spotify, it's massive, massive, yeah. massive. Yeah, as you said, yes. Yeah. Like I said before, Instagram is like my shop front and um you know yeah. to have these pictures straight away i just think on any sort of platform but especially instagram which is very much like driven around square pictures grabbing people's attention straight away it's kind of kind of what i've got here so yeah it's it's worked out really well so that just about covers your 2020 and beginning of 2021 can you maybe share with us your plan for the future so yeah basically i'm having a well, the plan is this year to do a similar sort of template to last year so last year I did a beat tape volume one around this time and then I did boys and girls mixtape in September. So that's that's loosely what I'm following this year as well. So um, I've just dropped uh, Ebla Beats volume two, another 18 track. And then, yeah, the plan is to do another feature release um, back end of this year. Um, and I've already started doing sessions for that. I've sort of been doing them since, well, more so recently at the start of the year, I wasn't doing any um i'm really excited about that got some 
more exciting features and I think that's what really I mean I love collaboration love working with artists and stuff like that and that's one way where I'm really looking forward to growing and I already am growing is just kind of working working with um I don't want to say better but like you know higher caliber higher caliber artists you know people who have been doing it for years or you know people whose music I've been listening to things like that that really excites me the idea of sort of getting to a point where I'm able to work with with those sort of artists or, or they even you know want to work with me and stuff so so yeah i'm really excited about that are there any features that you have lined up already that you would want to tease? um i'm well i'm working on a track with adi suleiman uh which i'm which will be great i think that's been a long time coming because you know we're both just as i said such great friends and his music's not miles away from what i'm doing it is very different but uh his is a lot more live slash organic sounding but um but it's not, but you know, his voice works amazing on my stuff. Um, who else? Yeah. I'm trying to have a look now. Um, so I'm working on another track with Kofi Stone. who's an amazing UK rapper. Um, I've got a song, well, a couple of songs with Miller Blue. Um, and a guy called Dandelion as well. Who's an amazing, like alternative pop artist. Um, that's been really cool because we worked together when I was in the duo and so it's been cool to like meet up again now that we both have our own uh, completely different artist projects um, and I'm also yeah I'm trying to revisit a few old features um, so uh, Carrie Baxter I want to do another track with Kofi Stone as I said we're doing something else um, and then yeah loads of sessions over the next month so you know it could well be that none of them are on it and it could well be that a lot more are on it so it's all a bit up in the air but I'm just yeah just really enjoying working with new people at the minute and most sessions at the moment are just with new uh new artists and i'm working with quite a few rappers as well which is really cool because my stuff's always been hip-hop inspired or tempo or whatever so to actually work with rappers has been great so yeah oh yeah and the other thing i want to do this year i just want to squeeze this in the other thing i do want to do this year is um is a live show um because i've not done anything uh live with this project and I, I don't even know if I necessarily said it, but I think I might have said when we were first talking about music, but basically when I started performing, that's that's like my passion. I love, you know, I love writing and producing and stuff like that, but being on stage is like what made, drove me to sort of do music to this to this day. So the, um, yeah, the thought of bringing this project to to a live setting um, is is really exciting. I can't wait for that. Hopefully that'll be this year too. All right, so thanks a lot. Thanks for doing it. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it's been lovely to chat. Chat, 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 chat. Thanks to all you guys for this one. This episode of 830 Somewhere was brought to you by Bassbase, your favorite international platform for music-related content. Thank you so much for listening. As an independent platform, we would highly appreciate any kind of support. So if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media where you can share your thoughts about this episode. Big shout out to everyone behind this episode of 830 Somewhere. Hosting by Ben Sharoni, Max Gorin, and myself, Gabby Libercio. Editorial work by Ben Sharoni. Production by Max Gorin. Coordination by David Granoste. Booking by Sophia Reiners. Music and sound effects by Max Gorin and Hackmack. Artwork by Yosha David. I'm Gabby Libercio. Hope you've enjoyed your flight. See you soon, somewhere.